Two of our texts this morning are about water. First, in Exodus, we hear a piece of the story of Israel as they make their way through the wilderness. This isn't all that long after they've escaped from Egypt, after God works through Moses to lead them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, and God promises to lead them to a land that will be all their own, a land of milk and honey. And while they're in the wilderness, God works wonders for them. God causes food and manna to fall from the sky and water to burst forth from the rocks. Impossible water that was nowhere to be found in the desert. God provides them the water of life and in so doing saves them. And time after time, God continues to do this all the way as they make their way through the wilderness and they still wonder if God is with them. And then in the long passage that Don just read from John's gospel, we meet this woman at the well. And to understand this conversation from her perspective, we have to try a little bit to be in her shoes. We have to imagine that we live in a world that is completely dependent on rain. In a part of the world where there's one whole season that's very rainy and wet and one whole season that's very, very dry and there's no rain at all. And so the water that people actually lived on in that season was stagnant water that was underground and had been caught in cisterns. And probably this woman at the well, like so many women still, honestly, all around the world, her life revolved around this trip to the well to bring water back to the house, water to drink in some seasons, water for cooking, for housework, for cleaning, for growing, the water that the family needed for everyday life. And so to her, this idea that there's some kind of water that will keep her from ever being thirsty again, that will let her life look different, so she's not just going back and forth to the well all the time with the water that always runs out, it's a foreign concept. It sounds sort of like a miracle. And at the end of the day, it's actually still more than that. Jesus is offering her something that he calls living water. Water that gushes up, water that springs forth and runs forever and leads to eternal life. And for our Samaritan woman at the well, this would have been a really powerful, really poignant image. Living water is a phrase that comes up quite a lot in Hebrew scriptures. The prophet Jeremiah describes God as a spring of living water. And the prophet Zechariah describes Jerusalem as a source of living water for the whole region. And in both places, in both settings in scripture, we have a sense that this water is something that moves, something that gives life to the world around it, something that enables other places and other peoples and other beings to have life and to have it abundantly. This spring of water is is literally the difference between what is brown and dead and decaying and what is green and growing and blooming and alive. What Jesus is talking about, this living water, is the opposite of the stagnant water that sits below the ground and is collected in these cisterns. Water that just sort of ultimately becomes only good for housework and for for cooking because it isn't safe to just drink it as it is anymore. Listen to Jesus describe it again more accurately this time from the Greek. He says, everyone who drinks of this water that I will give them will not thirst again in this age. Instead, the water that I give will become in them a spring of water, welling up into life eternal. So two pieces to that. First, the will not thirst again in this age. 
It's a fascinating idea. It's the idea that they will be satisfied and complete and fulfilled. And then the second part, the welling up, is sort of a present tense, right? Like it's continuous, like it never ends. This clean, fresh water just sort of pumps up like, like an aquifer that's pouring out of the center of the earth and giving life to everything on the surface. Today in the season of Lent, and in particular, I think, in this season of the, of the world in which we find ourselves, it would make sense for us to consider ourselves like the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness and wondering if God is with us. Maybe sometimes even grumbling as we hear them grumble in Psalm 95, because it doesn't feel sometimes like there's enough proof, enough comfort, enough signposts on the way to show us that God is with us and that God is in control. It would be fitting, I think, in this season to see ourselves as wanderers in the wilderness That's why that metaphor of Lent works so well, because we are a people in covenant with God, making our way through the wilderness of life, on our way to the promised land, to the future that God has has promised us, the land of milk and honey, the land of eternal light. And on the way, in the midst of this life, there are many challenges, many obstacles. And in the midst of them, just like for Israel, God does work wonders. There's a reason why we like this metaphor in the season of Lent, and it's because it works. And it has worked for many in the last week or two as we have begun to face the reality of social distancing, the need to be away from each other in light of coronavirus. In fact, just yesterday, a colleague of mine on Twitter called this a desert season because we can't be together this morning to celebrate the Eucharist. And on some level, she's right. But for me, it doesn't feel like the wilderness. It doesn't feel like the desert. For me, I think it feels more like we're underwater. Many of you know who are watching this um, probably that I was a swimmer for the better part of my life. I spent so much more time in the first 20 years of my life um, that I think I actually have a lot of living to do to eventually kind of balance out how much time I spent in the water versus how much time I've spent on land. Um, And you can't do that. You can't live that way if you don't love it. Um, And I've always loved the water. I love everything about it. I love the way it moves, the the feeling of being able to sort of push your way through it and um, kind of bend it to your will. And I love the way that the water kind of closes in on us, the way that it piles high above our heads if if we try to sink down a little bit, the way that it kind of dulls the sound around us. And truthfully, I'm an equal opportunity water lover. I love the ocean, the waves, the sound, the rolling, the rhythm, the smell. Plenty of you have heard me say that tons of times before because I do. I love it. There is a lot about the water to love, a lot that is beautiful. The frustrating thing, though, about it is that whether we're in a pool or in the ocean or anywhere, really, in a large body of water on this planet at this point, It doesn't matter how lovely or how colorful or how much it sparkles, how comfortable you are in it or how much you love it. If you are thirsty, you are out of luck. You can't drink it. Well, actually, physically, you can, right? You could. But it probably won't go very well in the long run. Um, And it's probably not something that a lot of us want to spend time thinking about, truthfully. Because no matter how much we love the water or what a, day, what a great day you've had at the beach, or how hard you've worked at the pool, if you are thirsty, drinking the water around you won't help. In fact, it'll make it worse. And literally, I mean, that's where we get this phrase, right? Water, water everywhere. 
and not a drop to drink. And for the last few days, it has been that image that has really stayed with me. The idea that we are surrounded by water that can't really give us what we need. In fact, surrounded by water that if we take too much of it in can actually make it worse. And the thing is, we don't really have a choice about being in that water, right? And I should say before we continue that there are some really beautiful things to see and do down here in the water, the water that we call life. There are people to love and things to learn, connections to make and joy to share. And God has sowed goodness into you and into creation all around you. So there are a lot of good things to say about the water that we live in. In fact, you just heard me say that I love it. And in many ways, you should too. But the thing about water is that it can also be very, very rough. Either because the storms of life sort of blow in and the the waves move us around and there are things for us to navigate and obstacles we just have to face that we can't control, that we can't move, that we can't necessarily chart our way through right away, like this time and this virus. And because the water that we swim in is also so filled with stuff, frankly, that won't help us. As human beings, we can't help but have needs. We can't help but be thirsty. We can't just turn that off for ourselves. We are always looking for something. And we are surrounded by water that looks pretty. But quite a lot of the time, it actually isn't good for us. Instead, there are voices in it and movements in it that offer us empty promises and quick fixes and one-liners superficial changes, and cheap grace. We are surrounded, even bombarded, by the news and by technology and by everyone else's opinion about what will make it better and what will make us whole and how we can be happy and what will finally give us that that chance to breathe, that chance to de-stress, what will help us sleep or make us more secure or less afraid or more fulfilled. There are literally a thousand different voices a day that will tell you how to do all that, It is literally in the water, the water that surrounds us. And here too, it is water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink. Because the problem is that none of that actually quenches our thirst. None of the constant need for technology, none of the rising anxiety, none of the waves even that are supposed to help us, none of it actually meets the craving, not the fads or the phases or the gimmicks or the schemes, because None of it, none of it can fill that hole in the long run, certainly not eternally, because ultimately what we are craving, what we need, what we ache for, whether we know it or not, comes from a much, much deeper well. So let's return for the moment to our Samaritan woman at the well, who has come for the water of life. Somewhere in the midst of this conversation, as she realizes that Jesus sees her, all of her, who she was, who she is, who she will be, even as she realizes that he can see everything she's ever done. She's also able to see that he loves her. He's truthful with her and he calls her on some things. And that admittedly is the risk of talking to Jesus. By the way, you will sometimes hear some things that maybe you don't want to hear. But the text is pretty clear. His words don't judge her. He loves her. And he wants to give her what she needs. And seeing that and being seen like that brings her to a different kind of truth that sort of jars her awake. 
and gives her the ability to see him clearly, to know that he is the Messiah, the living water, the thing that is more precious than gold. And that truth wells up in her. And it becomes a spring of water in her own life, in her own words, that she can't help but go and share and tell everyone what she has found and who she's found. And all those people, the text tells us, can see the life and the goodness bubbling up in her and in her story. And then they go find him for themselves and they come to believe. And that's why we still hear this story generations later, because other people around her throughout the region and throughout throughout history have listened to her tell this story and found their faith strengthened, found themselves sent further down the road to see him clearly as Messiah, as the bringer of water, as the giver of life. It is not a coincidence that as Christians, we begin our life of faith and our life in community in the waters of baptism in the midst of that living water that marks us as God's own and invites us into a covenant that is fundamentally designed to bring us and the whole community into life abundant. Because like our Samaritan woman, we are all just waiting at the well. Like her, we live in the waters of anxiety, in waters filled with pressures and choices and decisions with need and anxiety Like her, we have made choices, some good, some maybe not so good. And like her, you are completely seen and known and loved by a God who wants to give you what you need. But first, sort of part of that is that we have to be able to figure out that as human beings, that ache that we feel, that hunger that we fill with so many other things, the searching for wholeness and fulfillment It won't be filled by some kind of superficial answer or even by the rising tide of anxiety in social media. It will only be filled when we acknowledge it as a craving for God. That ache inside us for comfort, for peace, for fulfillment, it is a need and an ache that can only be filled by the presence of God, by the real and living water that isn't just safe for us to drink, but actually is life itself. The rest of the stuff around us, unfortunately, no matter how loud it is, just won't cut it. And it won't free us, it won't save us, and it won't bring us peace. It is only God who can do that. Who comes for us when the waters of anxiety rise up to our necks and close in above our heads. Who comforts us when we hurt. Who cheers for us and rejoices when we have those brilliant moments in the water, in life, that are beautiful and abundant. It is only this God who sows goodness into creation, who can bring water out of the rocks in the desert, light out of the darkness of night, and life out of the valley of death. So, in this season of anxiety, wherever you are, whether you think you are in the wilderness with the Israelites wondering if God is with you, or if you are in the waters of anxiety, Contend today with Jesus who who waits for you at the well, who sees you, all of you, everything you've ever done, everything you will ever be, and who loves you still, perfectly, completely, unendingly. This season exists for a reason, and it's because it is the perfect time to humble yourself in front of the well of life to depend on this love that we do not and cannot ever earn, 
this love that is only a gift, freely given. See that as the real grace that it is. And it will bubble and gush and well up inside you, being a source of real fulfillment, of real wholeness, of real relief. This grace, this real solid life-giving grace is the source of calm in the midst of anxiety, the source of confidence in the midst of fear, and it is even the source of eternal life when we find ourselves in the shadows of death. Jesus, who is the source of living water, waits for you at the well. Find him. Drink him in. Instead of everything else that surrounds us in the water that heightens our awareness and our anxiety and begs for our attention, listen instead for his voice above the rest. Take his path instead of another. Make him the fixed point on the horizon by which you navigate, and you will find that water also bubbling up in you, water that will meet your need like nothing else, that will make you whole, that will transform you and bring you to eternal life, and in the process will spill out of you, making you, as God's instrument, the well of peace, the well of goodness, the well of wholeness, and the well that gives life to everyone around you. Amen.